as you can see, I'm not Brother Jeff. Uh, I'm Anthony. Uh, but Jeff reached out to me last week, and he asked me if I'd be willing to read the Lord's Prayer. And so my response was, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to start at verse 5, and I will read through the Lord's Prayer there. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and I'm in Matthew uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 5, if you want to follow along. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I'm going to say that one more time. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. So Jeff also asked me to read another section of scripture, which again, my response was the same as the first. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and I'm going to read through 20. And I've read this probably about seven times already, and it's kind of brutal at first, but it gets better. It's going to sting a little bit, but again, it gets better, I promise. So I'm starting at Isaiah 1. 1 through 20. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amaz, which he saw concerning Judah, Judea, and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord of hosts, excuse me, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, and the heart, excuse me, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out 
or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Verse 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom or become like Gomorrah. Hear the words of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbaths and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Well, we have much to be grateful for this morning. Yeah, I was sitting there thinking, oh, it's nice to have our drummer back. I didn't know uh, any of those circumstances, so we're grateful. And uh, yet, we have much work to do as well. We're going to go through Isaiah and Matthew and maybe John, depending on our time. And I've got a lot of notes, so forgive me. I'm probably going to try and stick to them so I can drive our point, point home, if you will. Isaiah, 
His name is uh, significant, signifies the salvation of the Lord. The Lord saves, a proper name for a prophet, especially for this prophet, who prophesies so much of Jesus, the Savior, and the great salvation brought about by him. Don't you love the details of the Lord? His name and his life. I'm amazed this morning, the details this morning. Um, I know you've heard it a gazillion times. We don't really communicate as far as worship and all that stuff. And <clears throat> just the songs, the detail of the worship, the words that Brother John used in the prayer were significant to what we're sharing. Uh, Brother Anthony took his own step, which was fine, and went a few verses beyond the prayer, which was appropriate for the details. It's just awe-inspiring when you see that, when you hear that. And nonetheless, the details that he has for your lives are just as significant. If we will only be willing to hear and see. The prophets were commonly called seers or seeing men, and therefore their prophecies are fittingly called visions. God's prophet, prophets saw what they spoke, knew what they said, and required our belief in nothing less than what they believed. You get that? They saw it, they believed it, they spoke it, and for some odd reason they expected us to believe it too. Sometimes it worked for them, sometimes it didn't. But nonetheless, that was their belief. Have you ever seen something clear as day and all you could do is go and repeat it? Whether it be nature, one time my wife and I walked out in an evening with some friends out our door and we saw this, uh, what was it called? Lunar moon? Was that it? Halo, a halo. Halo moon, never even heard of it before. But this thing was like, right where that wall was. Now it's where it was normally in the sky. But it was that close. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't do, help but go tell people about it. And yet these prophets, and generally speaking, they weren't uh, well received. As Anthony introduced this, it gets better. Well, in the beginning it was a little rough. But yet they went out because they had no choice but to speak what they had heard or seen. In 1 John 1, 1, you don't have to go there, I'll just read it. It says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. We should be so willing. Have we not seen? Have we not heard? Verse 2 starts out with, Listen, O heavens, listen, O earth. He's calling out to all of creation to get the attention of these people. He didn't just go straight and address them but try to grab their attention with all of creation. 
sure where my other glasses today. They're a little bit more magnified. Children, the children I have raised, cared for, have rebelled against me. He didn't just raise them and care for them. He magnified them. He exalted them. He made them grow, but made them great. Not only maintained them, but he preferred them, his children. And yet their ill-natured conduct towards him who was so tender to them. Their children, his children, and yet rebels. God's children, and yet rebels. That's who these people are. God's children, and yet rebels. Israel does not know its master, it says, yet their land is a land of light and knowledge, and in Judah God was known. Yet, because they do not live up to what they know, Yet because they do not live up to what they know. Everybody get that? It's in effect as, a, as if they did not know to God. To God. We can fool each other. We can fool ourselves at times as well. But there's no fooling the Lord. But they thought they knew him. But their knowledge does them no good because they don't do what they know. What is it that we know that we do not do? They do not apply it to their lives nor their minds to it. Many that profess themselves God's people are very careless in the affairs of their soul great news, right? Everybody's so excited. (laughs) But is there truth? Many that profess themselves God's people are very careless in the affairs of their souls because they do not know and consider their obligations to God in duty, gratitude, and interest. Ephesians 5.10 Carefully determine what pleases the Lord in your life, in your walk, in your ways. Those are all add-ons. But that's what's concerning to you. Verse 5, why do you continue to invite punishment? Sin is what we're talking about here. And while sin remains unrepented of, the wounds are unwashed. Consequently, it remains unpardoned nor anything done towards the healing of them and the preventing of their fatal consequences. So, if I have a wound in my arm, and let's just say it's a large crooked gash, it's not going to heal on its own. If I do not do anything to it, 
what's going to happen? It's not going to heal. If I don't do anything to prevent it, I don't know, gangrene, whatever, it's not going to be good. I might lose my whole arm, might lose my life. So sin, same way, unrepented, leads to fatal consequences. Right? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured, your heart is sick. You're battered from head to toe. Your wounds are infectious and without any soothing ointments or bandages. Soothing ointments. Repentance. He justly refuses to hear their prayers as we go further here. I'm going to skip the, the, the next main body where he talked about their physical body, and then he goes on to speak about their land. And if we, when we look at verses 11 through 15, everything looks as should be. God set up the ordinances, told them about the festivals, how to follow them, and yet we cannot go through here and find anything by appearance that they are doing wrong. They're not bringing their offerings to a false god. They're bringing them to the altar of God. They're bringing them, him the fat, calves, the best offerings. They are praying and praying often. Verse 13, when you lift your hands in prayer. So they're lifting their hands in prayer. So by appearance, in church, on their own, making their own sacrifices, getting together, celebrating the new moon festivals. To me, what does that look like? A Christian, thank you. To God, what does that look like? Well, he tells us. He justly refuses to hear their prayers and accept their services, their sacrifices, and their burnt offerings because their hands were full of blood. There are many, and we sung it this morning, or at least part of this, but there are many who are strangers to the power of religion. And yet, they seem very zealous for the show of it. Is there a difference? Their hands were full of blood. He that hates his brother in his heart has an effect hands that are full of blood. And so we get to the meat of this. Verse 16. Wash yourselves and be clean. Repent, he says. 
This is a call to repentance and reformation. If we want our sacrifices to be accepted and our prayers to be answered, we must begin our work at the right end. Wash yourselves by repenting. We must put away not only that evil which is before the eye of the world by refraining from gross acts of sin, you know, the big ones that we try and refrain from when people are watching, especially our own family, but also that which is before God's eyes, the roots and the habits of sin that are in our hearts, these must be crushed and mortified. It's not enough to just cease to do evil and stand idle. Matthew 12, 43 and 45. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person that I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept and in order. So, sin, repented, clean house, an idol. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. So when repentance comes, the next step is the reformation. So if I repent and now clean, but say empty, what is, what is the task? to fill that house back up. If I don't put the good in, it's empty. So just repenting of our sins is not good enough. Yes, the Lord, it is a step for the Lord. He says repent. All those sacrifices they did, he didn't want to hear them anymore because their hands were dirty. So he says repent. But then he says in the next verse, learn to do good. So the one goes with the other. It's not a one-step dance. Thank God we can go and ask for repent, or we can repent and he forgives us. They were dirty. And yet he just says, wash your hands. We must learn to do good. God's good. I've had a very different idea of what good is. And it gets in the way. Learn to do good, verse 17. Seek justice. Inquire what is right. 
not from the National Enquirer, but inquire what is right, that you may do it. They knew, remember, they knew God dwelled there. They were his children, but their knowledge did them no good because they didn't do it. There's a difference between knowing and doing. And so we repent, we learn to do good. We have to search for it. We have to be inquisitive about the things of God. We have to seek out for them, and then we do. We just don't seek to find and then let it be. Be found in the way of your duties, and do not walk carelessly. Relieve the oppressed, he says, especially those whom, you're, whom you're, you yourself have oppressed. We're not just talking about people down the side of the road, which is good. Brother Clark was talking about, Pastor Clark was talking about helping the homeless. But we ourselves, unfortunately, have oppressed people, whether it be by our actions, our words. And so he's telling us, relieve the oppressed. Verse 18 is, uh, can't you just see the Lord? He says, come now, let us settle this. Or reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. He's not saying to them, clean yourself first. Well, he is actually telling them to wash themselves, but he's not going to hold them accountable for their sin. He's just saying, look, Let's come. Let's reason together. I'm not going to come in anger. I'm not going to hold these things against you, but let's reason together. Because this is reasonable. There's nothing that we can bring to the word and compare it and say that this way is not reasonable but we will be shown that our way, by comparison, is unreasonable. So he says, come, just come. Let's just talk about this. Won't you come? Just come, he says. Just go to the Lord. Be reasonable. Verse 9, this says, if you will only obey me, The King James says something on my 3 by 5 card that I don't have. <laughs> if ye be willing and obedient. Brother John said willing this morning. Many people are obedient but are far from willing. 
might even be begrudgingly doing the task. So he says, be willing and obedient. Are you willing? He does not say, if you be perfectly obedient, but if you be willing. For if there will be a willing mind, it is accepted. Though our sins have been as scarlet and crimson, a deep dye. Though we have been often dipped by our many backslidings. So repented, cleaned, washed clean, my gown is cleaned, and I backslidden and dipped my garment into the red dye again. Maybe walked that way for a little while, went back, repented, washed and cleaned my garment, backslid again and dipped it. And this time, I might have even lingered in it for a while and stayed there. And yet, pardoning mercy... will thoroughly discharge the stain if we make ourselves clean by our repentance and our reformation. The two-step process. He says, wash yourselves and be clean. Learn to do good. Just come to me. What are you heavy laden with? When Christ bore the cross, he bore this heavy end. Now, I know I've had lots of little crosses that were heavy. At least they seem to me. Truth be told. So, if we will be willing and obedient... You will have plenty to eat in the land. If you will be willing to obey me, you will have plenty to eat. So what's the opposite of that telling me? They're in the land. They're God's children. They're occupying the land but they're not partaking of it. So it's possible for us to be God's children walking in the land and not partaking of the fruit. How is that possible? Well, here's our example. They're walking in unrepentance. Choices, 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 choices. The Bible... All through the Bible are choices. And yet, choose you this day, not tomorrow, but this day, whom you're willing to serve. 
Some of us will have to choose today what is the number one priority in our life. I don't know, does that seem like a big task? Sometimes it does, I think. But simply put, what is our number one priority in our life? Life and death are in our choices. Life and death are in our choices. Is that overkill? I'm not talking about potato or patata. But I am, am I willing to repent and reform my ways? I know I'm off, I'm quickly to repent, to be perfectly honest with you. And I'm, after going through all of this, I'm quicker, trying to clear my head quicker to repent. But that next step is elusive unless I am focused and focused on the ways of the Lord. But it's crucial. Why is it crucial? Why do we need to do that? Am I willing to reform my ways? Anger? Forgiving someone? Lust? Matthew 7, verse 12 and 14. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. They were doing everything they thought that the Lord would like them to do, but they were neglecting the things of loving their neighbor. In other words, the second greatest commandment which is known as just the first, as is important as the first. They weren't caring for each other. They weren't caring that I'm going to hold that against you. Not understanding the consequence of that. And so I find it interesting here that the verses that follow this one, it says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is way bigger than I understand it. But if my wife has, uh, if she's struggling with something, say maybe she mistreats me or whatever the case is, and I don't particularly feel like treating her in a right way, which would be normal. I'd probably take an offense. Um, doesn't have to be a spouse. could be someone else, whatever, and you very well could have been wrongly treated, but... What I need to do is put myself in her position so out-of-body experience into that. And then now, how is it that I want to be treated and then treat her that way? Obviously, there's a need that she needs, but what happens is instead of me treating her the way that I wanted to be treated, if that's how I felt, 
typically speaking, I treat her in the way through being upset with her or offended, and I don't, I don't do anything for her. That was the issue that Isaiah, the Lord was speaking through Isaiah. I don't care about all your sacrifices. Learn to do good. Relieve the oppressed. So he tells us, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. So why, do we, why is life and death before us? You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide. For many who choose that way, so the road has to be wide. Isn't it interesting how God always has a remnant? I wonder if that road only needs to be narrow because it is only a remnant. But on that broad road, there's many that are on it. So it's easy to jump on board with that road and follow the crowd. And then that road, well, we can take so many turns on that road that it can be fun, seemingly, but not to its end. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. How's that possible? <laughs> Two weeks ago, we read in, on Wednesday night, Revelations 22. Blessed are those who washed their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit of the tree of life. The significance of washing yourself is huge. Huger than I, I have thought. Let's put it that way. So, the good news is the path is before us. The good news is he says, come. Let's just reason with it. It's right here all written down for us. That's the good news. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. And maybe uh, we can look at a possible priority for ourselves. Sixteen twenty-four through 27. 
And Jesus said to his disciples, Are we his disciples? I uh, painstakingly listened to the last time I spoke. You know how your own voice is kind of scratches? I had a hard time hearing myself for some reason. So I, I'm sure that response is not going to be on that tape. So are we his disciples? Yeah, we are. Okay. So in effect, he's, got, he's speaking to us as well, right? Not just the 12. If any of you wants to be my follower... Does anybody want to be his follower? You must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross, or crosses, or little burdens, or little selfish ways, or when you want to lash back, take those up, And follow me. If you try to hang on to your own life, you will lose it. Now, this uh, group of verses seems like it can be confusing because it kind of goes back and forth. But if I try to save my own life in the natural, in the end, I'm going to lose it. Does that make sense? Okay, so is there any value in trying to hang on to my own life in the natural? None. Thank you. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. When will you save it? In the end. Amen. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? It's so easy. We, we, uh, the whole world thing is easy for us to jump on board with. We know the world's contrary to the ways of the Lord. And so we say, yep, 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 got that. I really ever uh, valued my soul specifically. Over time through my walk, sure, you hear things about it again. But my own self, my own value on my own soul. Like, I value my wife. I would do anything for her. I'd protect her to the end, right? But what am I doing for my very soul that over here at the end is so crucial? Because my soul, be it good now, matters so much here. Especially when I want to get into that narrow gate. Have you ever really thought about that? What are you doing to nurture your soul? We have children. We, we do our best to nurture, grow them. What is it, what is it Anthony? You've got, you've got the soul in you, man. That what are you doing to nurture it? It's significant. It's vital. It's crucial to be about this business of holiness. Seek it. Go after it. And then what? Do it. You have a soul. And it's yours to take care of. Yours, Earl? 
Brother John, it's yours. You know, he said, come to me, come. Come on your own. But this follow me thing, it's not really a choice. That's more of a command. Come to me. Come on. Now, follow me. Come on. Not on your own liking. Quit messing around on that big wide road over there. Follow this little one. So sometimes it's kind of lonely. Has everybody, anybody ever felt that before? When you're out there battling this thing on that road, it seems lonely. The help of God is always there. And all he ever wants us to hear is say, come. Come on, let's settle this. We'll figure it out. All you got to do is be willing to just come. Is anything worth more than your soul? I think we just kind of figured that one out. But yet we're still like the Israelites sometimes. I know, but in effect it says I don't know because I don't do it. I don't do it, and I, yet I know my knowledge is nothing. My knowledge is nothing. I just got to get, start taking care of business. See, positionally, we're holy, right? When, when Pastor Clark was, uh, what's the word you use? Not inaugurated. Uh, ordained, thank you. When Pastor Clark was ordained, positionally, He's a pastor, right? He doesn't have to do anything else the rest of his life. He's a pastor. But he needs to get about pastoring now, doesn't he? So he needs to do. Positionally, when we accept Christ, cleansed, made holy. Positionally, I am holy. He uh, grabs me by the back of the collar and plucks me on that narrow road. But what am I called to do after that? Become more holy, right? And more holy. And more holy. Pastor Clark talks about sanctification often and quite well. And in John 17, Jesus is praying to the Lord and he says, Sanctify them by your word. It was such great news when I read that because I like being in the Word. Right? So, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Sanctify them by your Word, which is the Bible, which is, we know the Word is Jesus, but it's the Word. It's going to make us holy. It's going to make us more holy. You with me? But there's another part to that, because if the Word by itself if it was just by itself, then it would sanctify every single time it was read. And we know this not to be ca the case because a non-believer can't make any sense of it, right? And I know I've been walking in a place before, well, I read it, but by golly, it didn't sanctify anything because I just wasn't there. So it's the Word and the Spirit. 
Now, what can get in the way of this, the spirit? Me. How am we supposed to live in a way that doesn't stifle the Holy Spirit within us, make the Holy Spirit want to draw away from us? So, but if we will wash ourselves, walk in repentance, walk not in perfect obedience, right, but willingly, then the Spirit will take this word, sanctification, more and more and more and more. But our part is to wash ourselves. I was going to end with that, but you got that early. For the Son of God, we just finished, is anything more worth more than our soul? For the Son of Man will come with angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. So what we do is significant in the end, right? What we do now cause and effect here. Everybody with that? Okay. Well, that's important to this verse, but what I really wanted us to see on this, uh, the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father. See, when Christ came the first time, he came as a man. He picked 12 men of really no significance. And he walked and he shared his word, right? But this time when he comes, this time when he comes, it's in his glory. And all of the angels, maybe not all of them, but angels are going to come with him. I never really looked, you know, when people talk about that, his return, I never really thought about the significance of that. And the significance actually of how I ought to look at it. Often we look at this, which is important, and often we look at the beatings and the insignificance as you look at him. Not of him, but his appearance and everything. But this time, when he comes, can I get excited about that this time? When he comes this time, it's in his glory. In chapter 17, they go out onto the mount, and he goes where? To a high place. Where do we need to be when we want to meet with the Lord? We need to lift our spirits up to a high place. But he goes up to a mountain. And here he is again with his details. He takes how many with him? Three. How many does he need on earth for a witness? Two or three. He takes them up. Two Angels come down. He even has witnesses on the top of this mountain for heaven. And you love, I know Pastor Clark loves this because he loves talking about Peter, and you got the zeal of Peter up there. <laughs> you know, the first one to speak, the one that says things that don't even really make sense, like, can we build three uh, tabernacles for you? Well, Really, do they, do Moses and Elijah really need a tabernacle? I mean, they're in the spirit. But the one thing is, like that high pitch, he didn't even think about himself or the other two disciples. He wasn't even concerned. 
He was in the presence. But the significance is, Jesus transformed on this mount. Now, how are you known? When I see Brother John's face, I don't think he's Anthony. I know that that's Brother John by his face, right? Jesus' face shone like the sun. Like the sun, which is very different than when Moses was up, right? Moses, although his face lit up, his was a reflection as the sun shining, and his face is as the moon. So he caught the reflection. And when he came down, he could cover that with a veil. Jesus' face was so bright, and his whole body illuminated, that his body lit up through his clothes, as where Moses could hide that veil. That is the God that I need to be concerned about my soul with. Because in the end, boy, aren't we going to be singing that song. Can't you just sing awesome, 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 awesome. But it has to be so often awesome that it affects me today. Choose today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's busy. Tomorrow's Monday. Choose today. Not tomorrow, because you know what you know what happens tomorrow? That road gets a little wider. Don't lie to yourself. Choose today whom you'll be willing to serve. What is the number one priority in your life? I'd love to blanket it and say, it's the same for all of you. In a sense, it is. but you may have something different to work on than you. But our answer still comes from the same place. And our format is still the same. Repent, wash yourself, and do good. Can everybody do good? Can everybody do good? In the Lord we sure can. I saw on Facebook recently uh, those uh, uh, wedding, uh, I don't know what they're called, wedding, take a picture of you and your spouse, love challenge, dare thing, those are, that was cute, and they, they are, there's nothing wrong with that, um, unless you put a picture on there of your wife that she doesn't care for, then you might have a problem, um, but there's nothing wrong with that, but I thought about this. You know, uh, I'm just weird like this sometimes. Like, what if I pose this challenge to you guys? Um, and it seems so far-fetched. Um, and it seems so hard because we just don't have time. But is anybody in, either in need or, or has not had a particular touch from the Lord in a while. Like, you remember, like, uh, Pastor Clark brought up about the woman. You know, one of them fire charges. When's the last time you just felt that, that charge, that fire? When's the last time you read something, saw something like the prophets, and you're like, I, well, I, I can't help but go out today on my normal day and go tell somebody what I read. Do you remember those days? 
you remember those crazy days? Okay, so it's been a little while. We'll just say that. So my thought was, this is kind of crazy. What would, ha what would it look like if the challenge was something like this? All right, we'll make it easy. Pick three people that are close to you, close in proximity, meaning, so that we can make it easier for ourselves. So say uh, husband and wife, maybe mother, might want to mix it up a little bit, whatever. Make it easy. Get one other spouse. You got a brother? Sister? Okay. Bring your sister. So there's their four. Okay? Now here's the crazy thought. So this will be a four-month process. Okay? You don't have to do something for four months. It's just the duration of it. It's just what I envision. So Megan's going to take month one. Okay? So they're going to they're gonna actually have a Bible study, the four of them. And Megan, during this first four-week process, is just going to talk to the Lord and see what he would have her share. And then she's going to share. Do you know what's going to happen for Megan during that month? I mean, her husband's posted it on Facebook. I talk a lot about Facebook, don't I? I love it when I'm reading and the Lord works it out in my life, is what Brother Anthony said. That's a good thing. It's pretty cool. Unless you're teaching on things that are a little tough, then it's a challenge. Then your wife says, no, 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 you're only talking about happy stuff for now on. But what would happen, Megan, if you decided to not only take the step, but to sit with the Lord for a month, listen to him and say, all right, Lord, what is it that you would have me to share with whoever it is that you're meeting? And then you shared. And he grabbed you with whatever that was and walked you to it in your life, wouldn't that be something? And then next month, Anthony said, I'm, I'm next. I saw what happened. I'm next. I want to go next. And the same thing happened with Anthony. And then we, the third month, mom and sister-in-law, whatever the relation is, are fighting over who gets to go next. But you see, the thing is, is that we're so... Uh, we're out of touch with that. We're out of touch with that. I mean, I, it would be great if we could all say, everybody's taking a turn up here. Pastor would love, that'd be a love-hate thing for him because that, that word, <laughs> the word's burning him. Look out next Sunday. <laughs> but be here next Sunday because he is going to be on fire. He's going to look like that woman at that restaurant. And I am so thankful for that. Because if I'm not getting that charge myself, well, dang, dang it, I need to touch this one and let it charge me. So it's a far-fetched thing, isn't it? I mean, I kind of chuckled at my own self when I was thinking, but, you know, the Lord popped it in there. I mean, we've all probably been in a Bible study at some point in our life, but it seems like, I don't know, it seems like life is just, uh, maybe that road's just, maybe I'm on the wrong road. I mean, it, the road's narrow. It's difficult. And I'm not talking about difficult by my own choices. I'm not talking about difficult because I'm not, 
seen that I need to repent. That I'm holding firm to my own foolishness and not taking care of my soul. Because in the end, in the end, when he comes in his glory, that's what's at the end. So, Peg, you guys are it. <laughs> Isn't that how you work? Supposed to tag two people? Tag, you're it. <laughs> Ask your wife, she'll tell you. I, uh, if you will, if you will take this, often on Sunday afternoon, I'll think back to. We were just kind of talking about this the other day. Sunday afternoon, I'll think back to, uh, or someone will ask me, "Hey, what was church about?" And I was good. It was good. And uh, what was it about? Dang, if I can't remember a detail, right? It's just not a detail, but it was good. It's just. So we talked about that a little bit, and uh, we talked about it a little bit in the car ride yesterday, and one woman says she takes notes. That's good. Although <laughs> she never really goes back and checks her notes. The road's narrow. So if you don't hear anything today, or if you hear one thing today, we need to be about the business, about taking care of our souls. We need to take care of business as far as being holy. And it's a good place to be. And it's a reasonable request. And in the end, bless the Lord, that door to the kingdom that seems so narrow won't be so narrow. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for who you are, for your direction in our lives. Lord, that, oh, you say to us, just come. Come, don't worry. Just come. Yeah, I saw what you did. Yeah, I know what you're doing. Just come, and we'll talk about it. And though it, your sins were red as scarlet, bloodstained, I'll wipe them white as snow. We'll see them no more, and I will lead you. Just come, follow me, says the Lord. Lord, I just ask that you would give us willing hearts, a desire to seek after you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.